0: A stormy night on the great estate, a night which will be long remembered, though the inhabitants of the house do not yet realize it. For little do they know that they are about to experience terror at Collinwood. To episode 11 of Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Danielle, AKA Penny Dreadful. And I have a very special guest with me today. I am so excited, I'm thrilled to have my guest here today Nicholas Bessink he is a freelance video engineer and broadcast consultant who's worked for Disney ABC Television Group and he's worked on such shows as The View Great Performances The World of Jim Henson and Antigone, Charlie Rose and the McNeil Lehrer News Hour among many other things he's currently the station manager at OPTV in Oradell New Jersey but Dark Shadows fans Will know his name from the show's end credits, which of course you must always watch, I insist. Nick Bessink, of course, served as Dark Shadows' senior video operator, and it is my pleasure to have him here today. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Oh, you're very welcome. Oh, my goodness. What what a delight. Now, this is amazing how we connected because you uh, run this uh, TV station now in New Jersey, right? And you, you had told me you were semi-retired and you're running the, the station, right? And I, I got this email every periodically in the Schilling Shockers account, which I would mentioned before, you know, I did do, do this horror movie movie host show for 10 years where I showed movies like Carnival of Souls and The Brain That Wouldn't Die and things like that on on uh, local television and I got an email and it was saying, Oh, you do, do, do you have more more episodes of the show? Because we've been showing your we show your episodes in the past. Do you have any more episodes? And I I read the signature and it said Nicholas Bessink. And I said, no, no way. It can't be. And Rebecca, our director, usually reads those emails and responds. So you had written before to the to the to the address and oh, Rebecca yes. had corresponded with Rebecca. And I said, it can't it can't be him. And I so I wrote and sure enough, it was you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I I like showing movies. We're a little bit of a, a different type of station. It's a peg station, which is uh, mm-hmm. public, educational and governmental here locally in uh, mm-hmm. northern New Jersey. And we're seen by about 50,000 people, I suppose, in the area by way of Verizon, because they distribute our station to other towns as well. And now we're also on local BTV, which means the whole New York area can watch my station, which is great. But uh, I'd like to be a little different in that I'm just not doing local broadcasting of local events is that I, uh, like on the Saturdays and Sundays, I also broadcast old movies, which people really, really got to like an awful lot. And I've gotten comments about it. So uh, I, again, I used to... uh, air Shilling Shockers, and I said, hmm, interesting. I wonder if they're still around. So that's why I wrote to uh, you guys to find out if you had any more new episodes, because this is something that's not seen on broad- regular broadcast television anymore. And yeah. uh, there are still people out there that really love it. <laughs> right now, there is a uh, group out in California in Bodega Bay that do creature features. Mm -hmm. So I've been taking uh, their feeds on a weekly basis and integrating that with different places where I have been able to pick up local generated movies uh, by way of the horror hosts There's like three or four horror hosts at this point. And I guess the most popular one uh, out there right now that most people can at least see across the United States was Sven Gulli. yeah. yeah I even watch it myself. Yeah, oh, he's uh, great. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, a, he's a funny guy. He really yeah. is.
0: Yeah, and he's a ni- really nice person too.
1: Yeah, it seems to be.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for, you know, continuing to run my moldy oldie episodes. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so, talk, talk a little bit, if if you would, about how you got into broadcasting, like in the first place. What, how did you get involved in this business?
1: Yeah, well, that was very interesting. In that, when we got our first television, which was back in the early nineteen fifties, I always knew for some way, or somehow, I was going to get into radio or television. I knew it. I never had to try to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. And when I had the opportunity, uh, I majored in electronics. As a matter of fact, before I got into television, I worked uh, for RCA on the F-111 Jet Radar Project for a couple of years. But again, it was something that I wanted to get into television, at least, or radio. I almost had the opportunity of going out to a radio station out in Peoria, but I wasn't geared up at that time and being able to do so. So... uh, I guess it was around 1970 or so, I sent out a bunch of resumes. Being that I had an electronics background, uh, I went to the the technical aspect of television. And uh, I had gotten two callbacks, one from ABC in New York, and the other one, which is uh, a local network that was starting up here in New Jersey called the New Jersey Network. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't going to have any studios readily available in northern New Jersey. And the only station they had was uh, in Trenton. And I couldn't see myself traveling down to Trenton every day, although I was going to be a beautiful brand new facility down there. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, when I went to for an interview there, the cement on the floor was still wet. Wow. That's how new it was. <laughs> so I wound up going to ABC, and uh, which was in 1970, May of 1970. It was early May. As a matter of fact, I walked out the door on a Friday at ARCA and then on a Monday went to ABC. Uh, And of course, I was like a kid in the candy store with that because, you know, I, like most people, watched television and at that time watched television a lot. And uh, so to see these things in reality, as opposed to just seeing it on the tube, was uh, overwhelming, to say the least. Uh, one of the first programs I worked on uh, was a, an old show in the morning called Betsy Palmer's Girl Talk. And I did that here and there. I did the news. They were breaking me in on a lot of the different aspects that ABC Network had. And then towards the end of the month, they sent me down to Dark Shadows. I walked in there and I was totally bowled over because the set looked real on TV. And actually they did such a great job in seeing it in person. Uh it looked real in person. Matter of fact, wow. the, the stone of the foyer looked so real I had a knock on it to believe that it wasn't really stone. And as I said, they they did such a great job with the scenics on it. That uh, I I was really amazed. Cy Tomashoff, right? Yes. Yes. He was really good. Matter of fact, (laughs) he uh, oh, I guess about a month or so later, he was doing a graveyard scene and he was working on a, uh, a graveyard stone. And I'm on my way into the studio from getting out of the control room. And he says, oh, maybe you can help me with this. And he picks up this, what looks to be a gravestone. And he's, he throws it at me. And I went, "Ah!" Oh. <laughs> and actually it was made of styrofoam. So it was very, very light. <laughs> but again, he did such a great job. It looked very, very real. And a lot of little things like that happened that, that you know, only the people that worked there would know little odds and ends that happened. Uh, another quickie little story about what happened in rehearsal was we were doing a scene again in the graveyard, and they uh, had about three or four people that were buried in actual dirt on the set. And they had little breathing tubes that they can breathe while they're buried, supposedly. Well, they went, did the scene, and they popped out, of course, at the given moment. And what happened was the scene for some reason or another, didn't go exactly right. So they said, okay, back in the graves, we're going to patch it down and uh, we'll start all over again. Well, because they got up to begin with, and it was very dusty, the the earth itself was not damp. It was dry. (laughs) So it was a lot of dust. Yeah. As they started burying the people back into the graves, a couple of the air tubes got plugged up and (laughs) they jumped up again going... (coughs) (laughs) So they actually had to stop for a while until the dust settled, and uh, wow. then we reshot the scene again.
0: Wow, which was a which was a rarity on on Dark Shadows, especially in, in the earlier days, for sure.
1: Yeah, well, they actually shot it as if it was a live program. Mm-hmm. They, they back in the 60s, especially, they were coming out of doing live soap operas to doing tape. But because they were used to the fact that they were doing it live and also the fact that they had a limited amount of time that they had the tape machines to do the recordings, they really tried to shoot it as if it was live. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we even rolled the commercials in at the same time. So when you saw a commercial that appeared in the show, we actually rolled them as well. Occasionally, uh, if a sponsor had changed, they would uh, edit in a different commercial, but that wasn't uh, the standard procedure. Most times they knew in advance what commercials were going to air at what particular time in the shows, and they rolled them. And then at the end of the day, the show was complete, ready for mm-hmm. air.
0: And, uh, and the tape machines were located in another building, correct? Like were.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the tape machines were located at 66th Street though the studio for Dark Shadows was on 53rd Street. So we had uh, lines by way of at long lines that allowed us to send the signal up to the tape room on 66th Street, and they did the recordings there.
0: And then there was limited access to those after because other programs were going to be using those tape machines, correct?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Again... Though ABC had a lot of tape machines, they also had a lot of programming going on. So they would book a tape machine for a given amount of time and really didn't want to go over because somebody else was scheduled to use that tape machine uh, later in the day. Don't forget, in addition to uh, Dark Shadows, they had the two newscasts they had to do. The World Apart, The Best of Everything, Uh, again, Betsy Palmer's Girl Talk, Dick Cavett Show was going on at that Mm -hmm. time especially at six o'clock, everything rolled Mm -hmm. uh, because we had so many things going on at six from network news to local news to the Cavett show. And if some of the, uh, Soap operas were still in production. They may be taping at that hour as well, so it was very busy.
0: Now you me- you mentioned that you you know you were an avid television watcher prior to working. Did did you watch Dark Shadows? Were you were you a Dark Shadows viewer at that time?
1: Well, uh, while I was again as uh, it started, I was still in school. So mm. what happened? They said, "Well, there's a new soap opera coming out." So I made sure that. I was home on the first day of air of Dark Shadows and watched it from the first day. So wow. I was actually, oh, yes, very much wow. a fan of Dark Shadows. So you
0: watched it from the pre, pre-Barnabas? You watched? Oh, the, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Wonderful. So that must have been quite something, you know, when you first saw a vampire on the show. Did you did you figure out right away that he was a vampire or were you like, is he a vampire?
1: Well, they, they, <laughs> they sort of let you into it. Subliminally. Yeah. At, yeah. at the beginning. Uh, oh, ironically, I even have a pilot script that the original title for Dark Shadows called Shadows on the Wall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed Art to be a, a
1: slightly different type of show. Mm-hmm. Later on, of course, it wound up going into the, uh, the idea that you had a vampire in it. But that sure. wasn't the original idea when they first came mm-hmm. up with the show. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, they were, it was sort of floundering, actually, for the first mm-hmm. six months or so. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, the show started out, I think, in 66th Street, either TV 1 or 2, and it was shot in black and white. And then because uh, ABC was going into color, they actually built the studio on 53rd Street specifically for Dark Shadows. And I'm so sorry I never took the book that was there as an explanation of how the studio came into being. There was a nice thing that ABC put together about the studio, why it was built, how it was built, and what features were put into the studio that were much different than other studios just for doing Dark Shadows.
0: Interesting! Wow, I, that's that is amazing. And this book, this book existed at the studio itself.
1: Yeah, it, it yeah. was sort of like. Uh... You know, like you would have the keys to the studio. Well, this was the uh, history of the studio, and it's, oh. the book stayed there. Wow. And ironically, as I understood it, I think when they cleaned it out, they threw it in the garbage.
0: Oh, that's tragic. That's
1: why that's I'm sad. saying I should have taken the book when right. I right, yeah. <laughs> <read> it originally.
0: <laughs> right. Now, were you a fan of uh, of uh, classic horror films, a gothic f- horror, f- like the, the universal films? Oh, and, yeah, and...
1: yeah, definitely. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. And of course, when... Uh, The Hammer series came out. Oh, yeah. I was expecting to be very similar to Universal, although they did a little different take on it, and they Mm -hmm. uh, shot it a little differently, had a little different flavor. But, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, Mm -hmm. I can remember one that really got me. I was a Ray Milan movie and it was called premature burial. Yeah. And that was a scary movie. I just got to re- recently see it again. Of course it's not as scary as the first time you've seen it. <laughs> sure. And uh, I had seen that in the movie theater. So, you know, it's darkened mm-hmm. and everything else. So you, you have the, uh, the feeling that it was a lot scarier, but yeah, definitely. I uh, liked mm-hmm. it. And then when I worked at channel 13 here in New York, Part of my duties in working was also, we used to do a a show called Cinema 13, and part of my duties was to actually transfer films from film to videotape. And uh, in the early 70s, I was very fortunate to actually get a three quarter inch video cassette machine. So what would happen sometimes is if I liked the movie that I was doing a transfer, uh, I'd make my own copy. This is before oh, great. people had <laughs> DVDs to see movies. And it was very rare for anybody to actually own a movie other than maybe A movie itself that was on film and color movies especially were very very expensive they ran like depending upon how long they were up to about seven hundred dollars and that was just for the stock wow so i i was very fortunate in that i i got quite a few movies recorded on videotape in my own collection and i was able to uh watch them at home and of course my friends came over and Wow, you know, these I are the benefits—the benefits, work. the benefits oh, yeah, of working yeah. in the industry. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, great!
0: Now, so you—you uh, you got on to so this must have been kind of fun because you had been watching it. So, yes. uh, unlike a lot of the people who were actually working on the show, you were following along with what was going on. I think by the time oh, you yeah. went on, it was in parallel time. If you were in yes. there, in nine, yes. yeah. So in parallel. So when you went on, you were—you were the senior video engineer. Could you explain what that entailed? Like, what does a senior video engineer do?
1: Okay, well, basically, a camera in a a studio setting is made up of two parts. The part that most people identify with and see are the camera people that are behind the camera. They are responsible for focusing and framing the shot. But the color, the uh, look of the video coming out of that camera is controlled by the video engineer. He matches the cameras uh, as well because, uh, you know, cameras are dumb as electronic things are at times and though they've really become sophisticated these days it still requires a human eye to look at one camera versus the other and make subtle adjustments to it so that when you cut from one camera a person doesn't look pink and the other one they look green so the video engineer actually does the exposure the black level the coloring and works in conjunction with the lighting director to produce the image that you see on TV. And it's gotten to be a lot easier these days as opposed to the old days when we did uh, say shadows because a color picture is made up of three colors, red, blue, and green. And they, at that time, and even today too, although down the solid state, there were three pickup tubes. There was a red, green, and blue. And like the technicolor process of movies, they had to be overlaid. And if they didn't overlay properly, you got color fringing. So that's why in some instances, if you watch the show on different occasions and early TV shows in particular, you will see may see color fringing where somebody's uh, eyebrow may be red on top and sort of greenish on the bottom because it got misregistered not because somebody misregistered, but because of time and temperature, the cameras used to drift and you were constantly adjusting them to keep them overlaid properly. Mm -hmm. So the three colors always have to overlay properly, otherwise you get color fringing.
0: Now, were there any um, special considerations for Dark Shadows? It was such a moody looking show uh, in terms of how atmospheric it was and and some of the gel lighting and, and things that were, were used in the show. was Were there special challenges in terms of Oh, that? yeah.
1: Well, for one thing, the earlier cameras needed a bit more light. They baselit the studio for 250-foot candles, which by today's standards is quite high. But the thing that ABC complained about with Dark Shadows in particular is the fact that it was very low video most of the time. And if you watch, you'll notice that there are a lot of candles here and there. And they became uh, the spikes in the video, you might say, because they actually came up to 100% of the video signal So what that means is the fact you would have average video, say, between 50 and 60 percent, maybe a skin tone would go up to 70 percent. But in shadows, because of the moodiness of the uh, presentation, most things were lower level because they wanted to produce that mood. Most of the soap operas back then were very flatly lit and they were a higher value of light used. So Dark Shadows was out of the ordinary because it was the only show that basically tried to shoot it like a movie. Mm -hmm. And there were some days where if you didn't know better, you were actually watching a movie. Most people at home saw a picture on their television set, which is probably not adjusted optimally. But at the studio, we try to keep the monitors looking as best they can. And it was amazing. In reality, even in the old standard before high definition came to be, that you can get such a good image uh, visibly. Uh, Of course, most people didn't see that good image. We saw it in the studio, and it was recorded, but you couldn't actually see it at home. But uh, there were some days that it was absolutely beautiful. I remember one, I think, that everybody remarked. It was the December 3rd recording of 1970 we did a seance scene mm-hmm. and after we finished the show everybody remarked and said wow this is unbelievably good yeah. this is like watching a movie and it was in fact uh, that that again it stays in my mind ever since that day it happened
0: yeah and i i've heard that more more than once from uh people who've worked on the show and interviews and such that it was shot in many ways more like 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 a movie than like it would shoot a a daytime television series now of course there were also unlike a lot of daytime series at that time and even a lot of nighttime series uh there were a lot of special effects and dark shadows ghosts and bats and disembodied hands and disembodied heads Mm and all kinds of, of things transformations magic spells considering that the show was live to tape how how did were you able to pull that kind of stuff off were you involved in the special effects yeah. aspect
1: of it well mm-hmm. what would happen is on those days that we were going to do say a disembodied head mm-hmm. uh, we would actually set up more time during the course of the day before the uh, main cast came in mm-hmm. and we would set these things up rehearsed them shoot them in advance and then during the performance of the show we would roll that particular piece in to the body of the show okay so it was set up in advance and they took extra time to do it in other words we would we would have overtime on that day because it took <laughs> extra, uh, time to do right uh also we had two directors when i worked there that alternate worked from week to week, uh, Leela Swift mm-hmm. and uh, Henry Kaplan. Yeah. Henry, when he directed, we go home early, when Leela directed, we'd have overtime, and that's <laughs> how it worked. A week yeah. after week, it would alternate. Uh, Henry was a funny guy, he really he, was, uh, w-
0: what was. What was he like?
1: He was a little flamboyant. Uh-huh. Uh, Leela was an yeah. early television director and there weren't that many female television directors at mm-hmm. the time so she stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah. She would get confused at times but uh, her instinct of putting the show together was very very good. Right. And though they had different styles both were interesting people to work with.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. Um, just getting back real quick to the, to the special effects aspect, I noticed that the, the special effects became more ambitious around the time you came in. Is this Was that a, a consideration of the evolving technology uh, as the show went on? Or were you saying, let's push this a little more? Or
1: Well, yeah, I, I think they got a little bit more comfortable in the fact that they wanted to bring to television something that was used in movies. An awful lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I think they they got just got got more comfortable and were able to try out different things to make uh, it to seem a bit more interesting, like a split screen with talking to yourself or something like that. It uh, uh, again, in if you stop and think about real old television when it was live, that would not be a possibility but they got comfortable with the idea that it's being recorded and you can do things that you couldn't do if it was done live. So more and more things were recorded on tape and done in editing to put them together to make sure you had the, the whole production. They started using editing process Mm-hmm. much more towards the end than they did early on.
0: Right, because the the editing became, because of the technology, it became more affordable
1: later on to do Yeah, it. more affordable, easier to work with, because there was different mm-hmm. renditions of how you could edit and in, in what you could do in editing. Mm-hmm. Originally, when they just did simple edits, they were cuts only, and it was actually a machine-to-machine type of thing where you can either do an insert of a picture... Or a butt to a picture, but mm-hmm. you couldn't do any effects. You didn't have a switcher to work with to incorporate different effects. But later on, when the switchers even got smaller, they were able to put little switchers in the tape rooms, so they could actually accomplish much more in the editing process than they were able to do early on.
0: Oh wow! Okay. And how how about the the chroma key? Like Dark Shadows used uh, used a lot of uh, of chroma key effects. So How did that work?
1: Yeah, well, Chroma Key, again, it was something that was around, really. Going back to the movies from The Invisible Man, I think, was one of the biggest Mm -hmm. pictures that actually uh, used it. And even in early day television, even when it was in black and white, they used Chroma Key, except that it was black and white. Uh, I didn't realize that until much later on in my career when I did a lot more reading about how the early day television worked. So it was a tool that could be used, but later on, especially when newscasts started using chroma key to do weather,
0: mm-hmm.
1: again people got more comfortable with it and tried different things with it. They refined the process a lot more. The system became uh, much much better than it was earlier on. And then a company called Ultimat came out. And they basically took what was the film process idea and applied it to television, which made it easier and more believable to do a chroma key than early on. Earlier on, you would get little uh, snippets uh, around a person, Mm -hmm. or uh, you can actually see the cutout, you might say, Mm -hmm. of uh, a person against a background. But later on, they were able to make it look like a mat, and then shade it such that it was very, very believable. And then they tried using it more and more in television production. Again, uh, Dark Shadows was probably one of the first, really, that I can remember that used Chroma Key in a production of that type. Uh, Again, it was mainly used in news situations.
0: I remember in uh, one of your MPI home video interviews that you did, you talked about the physical challenges with being in that studio because the layout for the studio was was like yeah. rectangular, right? It was like a long studio. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, actually, it went from 53rd Street to 54th Street, but it was mm-hmm. very narrow. Mm-hmm. So you actually had a choreograph, the cameras and the booms and the sets as to how you go from one to the other. And at times it got so bad that the cables got crisscrossed so much that you couldn't even get your shot. So, again, they had to work the details out during rehearsal. I remember one shot in particular where we were in the foyer scene and the, we had to go to the old house, which is down the other end of the studio. After the cameraman was finished with his shot, he literally ran with the camera down to the <laughs> other end of the studio, focused in. And within a split second, they took him on the air. And he was panting while he was doing it. Wow. It was was unbelievable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, that it was kind of cramped quarters to get all those sets in there. and and uh sometimes you will catch a glimpse of the, of the the boom mic or the camera and i remember one instance there was sarah, smith, uh sarah Shawn smith was running out of collinwood and she was running to the cemetery and they had established that the cemetery was some distance away from collinwood but the camera moved a little too far yeah. to the right and she's already in the she ran right into the cemetery so she's already there it's like wow that was fast you know uh so but it was kind of cramped cramped quarters i posted some pictures uh recently that were sent to me by Rob Ciccone, whose uh, uncle was a cameraman on the original Dark Shadows. And so uh, you can see that there are a lot of people there and there's a lot of equipment there. Cause what we see as viewers on television is, you know, you see the drawing room of Collinwood, you see the foyer and you see the actors uh, doing a scene, but around them, surrounding them, there was so much going on. And I think you really get a, a sense of that. There must've been, it must've been quite a frenetic kind of vibe I would imagine, right?
1: Oh yeah. Well, again, you, you had to get people that, you know, are ready to set up for the next scene, whatever that might be we had as many as 11 sets up in the studio at any one given time. If we were fortunate, where we were only using a few. That was gravy for us. <laughs> but when they had a lot of sets, yeah, it was very, very tight. We had the stage hands, the lighting people, uh, and then, of course, presetting what had to be done. And I don't know if you know or uh, realize that even the music, was put in live. We, during rehearsal, had a bunch of discs in the audio room, and a woman by the name of Sybil Weinberger Mm -hmm. was the audio supervisor, and she would pick cuts that Robert Cobert had uh, scored for different sections of Dark Shadows, and she would try out different sections and when that had to be cued, when it had to be opened up, when it had to be taken out, Again, a lot of that stuff in soap operas of today is done in post-production. It's not done live, mm-hmm. but back then it was done live. Wow, do you so know turntables in the back of the audio room were just were set up to do those music cues.
0: Now, do you know if if Sybil was planning those cues in advance, like which one she was going to use for that episode, or was she sort of winging
1: well, uh, it? Or- she got to know the the run of the show and what worked where. Mm -hmm. So she knew a lot of the music cues. But uh, again, during rehearsal, what she would do, she may think she likes a certain cut and play it and say, no, that's not it. Let me try a different one. Okay. and she would do that. And then, of course, she would make notes and then later on give the uh, audio engineer the script as to when. To open up the micro or the pots for the music cues because they had to be killed at certain times. They had to be opened at certain times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, again, a choreography, even in audio. Plus, for this particular show, we also had a uh, sound effects person that was located in the studio, Tom McHugh. Mm-hmm. And he would do all the sound effects.
0: While yeah. the show was being taped. Yes. Wow. It's like live. It's like uh, like golden age radio in a lot of ways. Exactly.
1: That's what was impressed me about the show to begin with Mm -hmm. early on. Were you in the booth primarily or were you down on the floor? Okay. yeah. uh, During rehearsal, sometimes I would go out on the floor to watch the uh, blocking of the show. Uh, And other times I would be inside just watching and making notes as to uh, what changes I might have to make. Also talk to the lighting director as to. What is coming up next? What to expect, and what we should do.
0: Those are uh, Mel Mel Handelsman, right?
1: Mel Handelsman, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing that uh, the actors really knew the lighting director's feel. In other words, uh, I remember Mel was on vacation. Uh, one week and we had a different lighting director and Grayson Hall remarked to uh, the person next to her and I forget who it was at this time. She says, you know, this looks awfully different. I don't think Mel's lighting today. She was right.
0: Wow. Well, you imagine you're just- just- yeah, just being there every day, and you just get the sense of what that should feel like compared to somebody else doing it. Sure. Um, do you have any? Uh, you know, you mentioned Grace and Hall. Do you have any particular fun memories of of any of the actors in the show? I know you were in the mainly in the booth, but you must have had some some interactions. With
1: well, me. what was interesting is uh, I think John Carlin, to a certain extent, <laughs> was somewhat of a uh, a fan of the show too. Because at times, if he was outside doing his piece. He would come into the video room and sit with us and talk to us while the show was going on. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was a regular nice person. He really was.
0: Yeah, everybody loved John Carlin. From every Anybody I've talked to or met him or interacted with him has always cracks a smile whenever his name comes yeah. up.
1: Actually, I went to a, uh, a reunion. I was up in Tarrytown a few years back. And uh, Carlin and uh, Pennock said to me, you worked on this show. He says, you must have a picture of Dorian Gray in your closet because you don't look like you're old enough to be uh, work on this show. I said, yeah, I said I was very young when I first started. It's in my early 20s. So, yeah. I, I
0: wow. was. Uh, how about in the booth itself? Do you do you have any f- kind of fun memories from being in the mix in there or were you so focused on what was going on at it?
1: Well, we chit chat back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. Our uh, headsets were split so mm-hmm. that we heard the, the technical director and everybody else that was in the party line. But. The other ear of the headset was actually between the lighting director and video. So we would chit-chat back and forth, and I can switch between the two intercom systems. Uh, as, and Mel was very, very nice to me. I remember the first time I actually did video on the show, he says, don't worry, he said, everything will go well. He said, we'll be in constant contact and talking, and I'll let you know as soon as something happens or there's a change that you have to address, uh, and he was really, really nice. He, he was one of the best lighting directors, I think, ABC had at the time. He, yeah. uh, he was a real nice guy as well.
0: Mm-hmm. How about did you do you work? Did you work with uh, Ru- Rudy Piccarillo and Ross? Yes, Skipper Rudy as well? and
1: Ross Skipper. Both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I was usually down there if one or the other was out. Oh, okay. Always so, to fill in with during their vacation time. Oh, I right. so you, would you alternate or would you be there?
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about uh, How about Dan Curtis? How, do you have any memories of him or interactions with him?
1: Well, the only thing in the control room, people say, well, the boss is going to be here today. Be on your best <laughs> behavior now. Uh, don't say anything, uh, you know, a little off the ordinary, off the cuff. Because obviously, you know, when you get to know people, you'll say things here and there that... Uh, You know, you get to know people, but when somebody comes in the control room that isn't there very often, you don't want to give them a wrong idea with, Mm -hmm. and especially when Dan came in. But uh, yeah, I, I understood that early on, he used to be in the control room a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh while I was there, he wouldn't come in all that often, but mm-hmm. he did make an appearance here and there.
0: Yeah, I, I got the sense that, that Dan was uh, was a bit uh, intimidating, you know, uh, just that big personality that he had. He just, oh, yeah. I could yeah. see him being kind of terrifying, you know, as a as a boss. You, did you stay with the show until the very end of? of no,
1: actually, uh, I wound up going over to Channel 13 in 19 September of 1971. So, yeah, I didn't stay to the end, although I kept in contact with everybody. As okay. uh, a matter of fact, sometimes when I was finished working at Channel 13, uh, a lot of the guys at that point in time, especially like after the news or different things, we used to go to a little place called Chip's Pub on mm-hmm. Columbus Avenue. And we usually meet up and you always usually find somebody from ABC there having some food or having a drink or whatever. So I used to go up there a lot of times after I was done and I I talked to uh, some of the guys, keep up as what's going on. Mm-hmm. and Of course, I still got to watch the show too.
0: Oh, so you continued watching it? After oh, yeah. You left. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, how about uh, how about George DeCenzo, the associate producer? Do you have any memories of him?
1: No, not really. I okay. remember him being in the control room every day. And later on, I actually got to work with the Met Channel 13, oh, okay. actually with Sybil, too, doing oh, okay. the Adams Chronicles from oh. uh, 74 and 75. I did the pilots, which we shot on location up in Massachusetts, uh, in Newport, Rhode Island, and Providence, Rhode Island. And they were involved with that. Uh, ironically... Not many people got to see the pilots outside of the Congress of the United States because they changed some of the cast when they actually went into production. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't show John Adams being different in one episode versus the other. And so uh, very few people ever got to see the pilots, but they were shot well. They were, again, it was all location shots. Uh, I I remember one in particular where we were going up, I think it was Essex, Connecticut, uh, and we were shooting at the Sally Dodge estate. And I got there like three in the morning and there's lights and you see this glow around the building. And they were shooting a very tender shot with John Adams and his wife. And again, it was a night scene and they shot it at night. And so they had uh, lights in the windows so that when you look inside the house, it's, and it was a real house, mm-hmm. wasn't a set, uh, you got the impression that it was very, very real. And also Sally Dodge was a, a bit of an eccentric in that uh, she had the house painted canary yellow, and that didn't go well when we were doing exteriors. So what they did is they wallpapered the whole outside of the house, painted it brown which was the color that it would have been and told her after they were done shooting they painted any color she wanted afterwards <laughs> they
0: did wow now so after you uh, you left dark shadows you continued working at, did you continue working at abc specifically or did you go to other places as well
1: well no what what happened is the second year that i was there at abc They were losing a lot of shows. Shadows was getting a little uh, shaky. Uh, The Dick Cavett show was getting shaky. World Apart was canceled. The Best of Everything was canceled. They combined the local and network news in one studio, uh, in the network news studio on 67th Street. So they were losing a lot of crews. And so what happened, my boss called me and he said, "Uh, listen, you know, I don't want to lose you, but... It looks like you're going to get laid off because of seniority. And so he said, why don't you take a walk down to Channel 13? Well, I took a walk down to Channel 13. I was working at Channel 13 for three months before I actually signed the document that said I wanted to work at Channel 13. They basically made the arrangement from ABC going to Channel 13. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. Interesting.
1: Yeah. It uh, it was matter of fact, while I was talking to him in his office, the technical director, J.J. Lepatkin called mm-hmm. my boss and said, if there's any way of keeping Nick, I would really like you to do so. And he said, this made it so much harder for me to tell you that you were probably getting laid off. So he said, this is what I want you to do. Go to 13. And I did. Wow. And actually, ironically, I uh, stayed at Channel 13 for 25 years. And in 1996, I made the transition and went back to ABC and spent another 15 years.
0: Oh, wow. Was, uh, had a lot changed in the interim when you went back?
1: Oh, yeah. It was almost yeah. a different place wow. because when uh, I first worked there, Leonard Goldenson owned the network, and he took a different view of how to run the network. When I got back, Capital Cities was in the process of selling ABC to Disney Mm -hmm. Disney took a very, very different tact of how to operate the network, and they sold off a lot of things that ABC had, from ABC um, publishing to the record industry, you name it, they were just cashing in everything ABC had. When I first went there, before Disney finally took over, they were going to uh, start a news network. Separate from ABC, but being part of ABC. And Disney put a kibosh on it, didn't want to have anything to do with news. So they, they stopped that idea. Then they put a big divisive knife between ESPN and ABC. So what happened, at Disney, for the most part, was shutting down ABC Sports, which, of course, was really known doing sports over those years during the time of jim mckay being at abc wide world of sports and uh it basically shut it down Uh so that any sports they would take was by way of espn the network affiliate stations were very unhappy about it they wanted the abc brand attached and here they are handing off espn on abc Uh, I guess it finally got settled to some way because uh, obviously they're still doing ESPN on ABC, but Mm -hmm. uh, there was no dedicated crew or multiple crews at the time uh, when I was first Mm -hmm. there of doing ABC Sports. They had like seven different trucks that would go to different venues to do the sporting events uh, all around the country. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now they have zero. The only little truck they have at the network is for doing Good Morning America in the park. And also some uh, location shots here and there. But they're big trucks that they once had for doing sporting events. They're all gone.
0: Oh, that's too bad. It is. Yeah,
1: It was a different company when I came back. They, mm. they were the leader in sporting yeah. Uh, yeah. among the networks. So it,
0: you mentioned that uh, Dark Shadows was getting shaky, that they could tell uh, while you were there. Did you were you aware of that? Because my understanding, I mean, there were still the kids were always still outside the studio. I don't oh, know yeah. if, you, if you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Matter of fact, I uh, I was coming out of the studio one day and I had a script that I was marking for the next day. And some kids came up to me and they said, oh, we want your autograph. I said, well, I'm one of the, the technicians. I'm not uh, one of the actors. That's all right. We want your autograph anyway. So I had a signed autograph. It is the only television show I've ever worked on I actually had to sign autographs.
0: That's awesome. And well, and to this day, I mean, yep. everybody. when I saw your name, I said, oh my God, it's Nick Bessig what you know it's like it's exciting you know because you helped to create that show you know and uh it's something that
1: we yeah, it was very near and near and dear to me because mm. it was also the first show i ever got network credits on was it really so yeah. oh okay wow matter of fact i have one of the early I at that time you know nobody could have a videotape because yeah. they was just two inch mm-hmm. so i uh got one of the uh Guys who worked in the film department, because at the time they used to make kinescope recordings of the show. So I have a black and white kinescope of one of the early shows I ever worked on.
0: Oh, that's great. My
1: credit's running very cool
0: oh very cool yeah and it's 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 great that they made those kinescopes because um when they released the show to home video they they had to source some of those for the for the because the videotape masters were were missing for some of those episodes they did use some kinescopes there's one where they couldn't find from 1971 almost near the end where they had stopped doing the kinescopes at that point like way near the end Mm -hmm. uh it's episode one two one nine and the videotape master is missing, but a fan had recorded the audio of it yeah. off the TV. So they reconstructed it with the, with the images and stuff. Yeah, nope.
1: Actually, I have an audio recording that I made on the last day as well. I oh, still have yeah? it to this day. Oh, you, uh, you recorded it yourself? Oh, that's Oh, so yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Jim Pearson, who was in charge of yeah. the uh, uh, Dark Shadows Festivals, Mm -hmm. Uh, At the time I was working at 13, he'd always come over. And when he came into town and he talked to me and we would do things like I did a a piece for uh, uh, Joan Bennett Mm -hmm. as a retrospect of her career. And he brought a lot of pieces and I wound up transferring it for him at 13. But he gave me a tape. It was the last show recorded of Dark Shadows. And there was a band around it, but the band was broke. And he said, "Why would that be?" I said, uh, "Sounds like this thing fell." I opened it up, and the tape reel must have fallen out at some point, bent over the videotape, Ooh. and uh, it wouldn't play. Of course, at point that point, so I took the tape out of the reel, put new flanges on it, and played it. Cleaned the tape. At that time, we even had tape cleaners. Uh, cleaned it up, and the only thing it was damaged from the very end show was the opening and the opening was easy to replace because you can basically take any of the dark shadows openings and reattach it and the rest of the show played okay so that's how the the end the final last show was saved is that i wound up putting it together and uh, wow
0: so you put it together for the home for the home video release yeah. Of it and wow, that's actually amazing. in the
1: syndication as well. Wow, oh, yeah, still syndicating it, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I basically saved it from the uh being thrown in the garbage.
0: That's amazing that you did that. So, w- folks, you have Nick to thank for it for the having the last episode of Dark Shadows, so awesome. Um, so at the time. You know, Dark Shadows went, you know, it went off the air. I, from what I understand, everyone was kind of burned out by, by the end of, of that, too. Dan Curtis was ready to move on, make movies. Um, the actors were kind of put through the paces, so they were kind of burned out, too. I'm sure the, the crew was as well. Um, well, uh,
1: I, I think the, was there was always snivellings as to what's going to happen. ABC was saying it's costing too much to do the show. There was always pressure. Uh, They were also running out of ideas for the show. So everybody was getting sort of down about it and that they knew the end was coming. And I guess in a way, they were sort of happy when it finally came because now they don't have to be worried about it anymore.
0: Right. But of course... uh... It continued to be popular when into syndication, as you mentioned, and continued yeah. to be uh, very popular. So, how did you kind of reconnect with the show? You continued to work in the industry uh, and worked on. Uh, well,
1: I can tell you how it came about. A friend of mine mm-hmm. came up to me and he said, "Yeah, no, they're having a Dark Shadows festivals in Newark, New Jersey, Yeah. the Penn Station area." So I said, "Oh, okay, I'll go." So we went. And I got to see Ross Skipper, who was doing a little bit of a a dissertation about his recollections of shadows. And they introduced me to Jim Pearson, and he was sort of standoffish about it. And uh, I said, But, well, I said, I really did work on the show. He maybe don't know directly. I said, But I do have a kinescope of my credits on it. So he says, well, can you make me a copy? So I said, yeah, OK. So I sent him the copy. Then after that, oh, my God, you worked on Dark Shadows. I said, <laughs> yeah, I did tell you that, didn't I? You <laughs> can't believe me, I think, at first is what, what it came out. Well,
0: with. maybe it's because, you know, you look very young, you know, since yeah. you just went on to the show. Maybe it's like, oh, this guy was too young to work so on. So that
1: was the, really the first yeah. time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I when I worked at 13, especially the first 10 years that I worked at Channel 13 was absolutely amazing. It was like working in a film studio, you might say, because Mm -hmm. when I went over from ABC to 13, I figured, well, I'm going to a smaller television station and I have to keep my limits about what's possible. Well, okay. What I didn't know is that they were just merging with NET, the National Educational Television, which was prior to PBS. And then pbs came into existence the same week that i joined channel 13 and they changed their call letters from wndt to wnet well we had 17 shows and productions two full-time studios and two part-time studios i worked and worked and worked i worked on a kid's show called how do your children grow black journal uh soul which was a black music show a music show with a uh, by, by the name of Bobby Sherman, who was a uh, person on WQXR, the local classical station here in New York. And uh, that it was amazing because they would tackle any type of music. One week we had the New Jersey Symphony mm-hmm. in the studio, the following week we had Alice Cooper. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> That's it ran the gamut, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. And then we did a live show on Tuesdays and Thursday nights called Free Time. And that was anything. It could be political. It could be music. I did three rock and roll reunion shows with them. Uh, if You know, from the Cadillacs, the Duprees, the Ronettes, the Crystals, you oh, name it. cool. We did it. And I still have those recordings to this oh, day. Oh,
0: wow. Awesome.
1: Then I worked on, uh, you know, in between times. Great performances. And one of the first ones I did there was Antigone with Fritz Weaver mm-hmm. and Jean-Biel Bourgeau. We shot on location at Lincoln Center. Then I did The Year of the Dragon with George Takei in our studio. Oh, cool. Uh, particular Men with Stacey Keach uh, On location up in Albany, His Honor the Mayor. I went out to do uh, the St. Louis Opera Company, Albert Herring, which was a co-production with the BBC. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in between times when I was just quiet, I worked on the McNeil-Lara News Hour. I did the very first show. I did audio on that one for almost a year before I handed it over again. And then I was doing video on that show and also technical directing from time to time. Uh, But I worked on that show for over 20 years. I did the very first show and the very last show from New York. Amazing. Then we had the Dick Cavett show back in the late nineteen. 70s i am the only engineer that actually worked on the abc show mm-hmm. and then later on i did the whole pbs run of his show so wow. now again uh on decades i get to see some of my old shows that i worked on oh right yeah because
0: they're they're rerunning those yeah. yeah now do you have any memories of Jonathan Fritt? did you did you have any interactions
1: with him yeah all? well oh can i relate a story oh sure quick? yeah okay we were doing a rehearsal, and it was a scene where Jonathan Frid is in a coffin on a catafall. Mm-hmm. And the cameraman at the point in time that was going to do the opening shot, you might say, it was Tommy Capace. And it was supposed to be where Grayson Hall goes up to a coffin, and there were chains. There were breakaway chains on it. And uh, she goes to hit it, and then the door is supposed to open up. And the point here being that it was back in time. So Grayson, as Dr. Julia Hoffman, didn't know whether Barnabas would still recognize her because he met her in the future. Mm -hmm. So what happens? He goes to open the door and there's a uh, securing chain at the very end so that the door only opens vertically. Well, what happened? The chain let go. The whole door fell over on the other side, and it was pure terror on Jonathan Frid's face because the, the coffin could have flipped over and him fall on the ground. Oh, because my he was elevated. Yeah. So what happened, everybody, I mean, the terror, nobody got to see that <laughs> because we didn't use the shot. But the terror on his face was priceless. It really was. And so we broke for lunch at that point. Everybody went out. We got some sandwiches from... uh A local hero place, and then we went back and we shot the scene uh, after lunch. (laughs) Awesome.
0: No, what does the footage like that? I mean, there are a couple of snippets that survive from from that sort. But what happened to that footage? Did they record over it or something? Or
1: uh, Jim Pearson had been looking
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because sometimes some of that footage would be on the A tape they recorded a high band and low band tape, which meant they were two different somewhat systems that recorded and they didn't know which they were going to use for air, whether it was be a low band machine on playback or a high band. And so what happens, some of it was put up, they would use one tape for uh, the final air, whatever that's going to be. And sometimes at the end of the tape, you'd see some of these outtakes. Mm-hmm. Very few of them actually were recorded or saved. okay. Uh, there were a few, but not yeah. very many.
0: yeah, i've only I've only seen a I've seen a couple of those.
1: And because this was in rehearsal. it wasn't recorded. this particular yeah. oh, thing I see happened. oh, okay.
0: I so they didn't that wasn't committed to tape. it was just no, happened no. during rehearsal. Yeah, oh, okay. How about uh, Catherine Lee Scott?
1: Well, at the time, she was a little standoffish. I got to know her a little bit more later, and I found out some background from Jim that, you know, the kids really loved her. And I guess to a point, she was standoffish about it because she figured everybody was either wanting to take pictures and publish them. Evidently, there was some... uh, uh, magazines out at the time that would publish, you know, behind the scenes type things and she didn't want anything to appear that she would think to be her to be unflattering. Sure. So she sort of uh, stood back a little bit. Later on as I got to do the uh, uh, Dark Shadows festivals she became a much warmer person and able to talk and uh, I remember one time when we were doing, uh, at the time the uh, the studio became a disco for a while. Yeah. And at one of the festivals, they asked us to come to the studio. They rented the uh, facility out to have a Dark Shadows Festival people come. They wanted to do a, a little tour of the studio. And they gave the mic to uh, me and Catherine Lee Scott, And so we were going from place to place within the studio, showing different things, where the sets were placed, Mm -hmm. uh, what it looked like, where this was, where that was. And uh, so, again, we were sharing the microphone and Kathy turns around to me. She says, you know a lot more about the studio than I do here. Have the mic. (laughs) So Jim had asked me to talk for about a half hour. I wound up speaking for an hour and a half and I still had more in me to go. Yeah, oh, and they wow. said, "Okay, uh, that's enough for now." Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. Uh, how How about Kate Jackson? Because I've I've heard she she was so. She started. She started the same week I did. No kidding! Oh wow! No, she she used to go. I'd heard she used to go into the into the booth even to learn how things were done. Like she was really wanted to absorb how how it was put together and stuff.
1: Yeah, she was she was good like that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, she was a very nice person to work with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh. Yeah, some of the actors did that. They they came yeah. in to see how things were put together. I guess right. they have a better understanding this way of how they can project themselves on camera. Right. Knowing what, you know, the other side uh, of the camera it looks like.
0: Sure, sure. How how was the experience in the festivals? Like once you returned to it and to a fan uh event like that, what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, well, that was interesting. I remember one time we were I was coming back to do, we, we had like the, at the end of the festival, they would always have a banquet. Mm-hmm. Well, I and my wife came back and uh, we were waiting around for them to set up. And in the meantime, Joan Bennett was still writing some, uh, autographs. I think Kathy Lee Scott was as well. And, uh, I was talking to somebody and my wife posts me and she says, uh, they're waiting for you. I said, what do you mean? They're waiting for your autograph. I said, you gotta be kidding. I turned around. There was a line waiting for me. Awesome. Oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So and I always signed my name, but I also put what the scripting for the day was and ABC's um, subscript to indicate dark shadows wasn't DS. It was DRK. Mm-hmm. So that's what I put on it. I always put the DRK that they know. Oh, it was really me, and it was real because the only people that would know DRK would be the people that worked at ABC. Sure.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Do you have you heard anything about the the them doing the festivals? Like Jim Pearson seems to have stopped doing them. I guess. Um, yeah,
1: yeah to- he was. He, I guess he figured after the fiftieth anniversary, uh, it would taper down. Plus, he got involved with. TJ Lubinsky and doing the music shows. Sure. So that's devoting a lot of his time. Kathy Lee Scott wants to have him still do the festivals. Sure. And uh, she's been pushing him whether he (laughs) will do another. I don't know. I haven't talked to Jim for about a year. so I don't know at this point, although another friend of mine keeps in touch with him a lot more because he was doing audio for Jim and, Usually, Jim will call him and say, hey, listen, uh, we're going to be doing this or this. Are you available? And uh, so then sometimes I would help out, like when they were doing some of the uh, background records when I was up at um, Louis Edmonds' uh, oh. <laughs> apartment. Uh, I was working that particular day and couldn't get off, and he did the recording of Louis and a couple other people at Louis's apartment. Yeah, but I set it up. I did the lighting for it. I set up the audio for him, and I said, "All right, you know, this is you can go with it." Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen the final cut of that. As wow, a, so the interviews it probably you... appeared. Yeah, it probably appeared on one of the uh added features of some of the DVDs. Yeah, but I haven't gone through all the DVDs.
0: Oh sure, yeah, Louis at Louis Edmonds interviews. Yeah, in the uh in the MPI releases. Mm-hmm. So that was you. That's that that. Help produce that. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah. What was what was Louis? I, I get the sense Louis Edmonds was was really fun uh, to be around.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, also he had like a little cabaret act. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he yeah, was on uh, all my children for a number sure of years as well. So he we took a little bit uh, out of that. He had some original songs mm-hmm. that he would perform, and uh, yeah, I was at a couple of the cafe club outings that he had that was recorded. And a friend of mine actually made uh, DVDs and some recordings on CD Mm -hmm. that he would sell at the festivals in cooperation with uh, Louis and had him sign a bunch of uh, CDs. And he still has a few left. (laughs) And every so often when we did have the festivals, he would bring them because they are very rare since Louis is no longer with us. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, How about uh, David Hennessy? He's he's reemerged lately. Uh, Well, it was last year, the Halloween get together on Zoom. It was like a cast reunion. And David Hennessy was there. he lives. That's um, very odd. Yeah. Well, he's he hadn't really done any Dark Shadows related things for a very long time. And it was great that he participated in that. I mean, the fans were. Yeah, he was uh,
1: very standoffish. He didn't want to have anything to do with the show. Oh, after afterwards, yeah.
0: I had heard it was Uh, so some fans kind of went to one of his restaurants and kind of made a scene, uh, and that he didn't like that. It was kind of a a lot of times fans I think will get overzealous sometimes. And it's it's a little bit of, I would imagine, you know, uh get to be, I mean, at a, a Z level perspective as Penny Dreadful, I've encountered some strange people so I can imagine at the dark shadows level where it's like you know network television where millions of people are watching you you probably get a cross-section of people that are a little yikes you know so that's that was my understanding but I don't know I
1: yeah he was also a little devilish on the set was he yeah yeah I (laughs) I remember one scene we were doing we were setting up and they, they were ready to do their lines uh the girl I was playing Hallie was in front of them oh yeah and uh we had a side shot and during the time that they were just sorting, sort of looking intense at the camera, he was undoing the dress of Hallie. Oh, him. no, <laughs> really? So, yeah, just you know, doing some odds and ends. Troublemaker. Huh? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't a <laughs> troublemaker like that. <laughs> then there was another scene where uh, they had to stop uh, the recording of a continuance of a particular part of the script because he was coming up in to do a voiceover announce which was in the back of the video room in the maintenance area where we had the announce booth and somebody else was coming in at the same time and the announce door and the exit door clashed together and broke his arm. So what happened, they had to write something in the script that uh, a Laphiathan or somebody pushed him down a staircase, and that's why he has a cast on. Right, right. So they had to rewrite some of the uh, scripting for the following week to uh, put that in.
0: Yikes, wow. Um, so uh, how did you end up um, being the station manager at how how we connected at OPTV? Like, how did that come about?
1: Well, in addition to me working, and I've, I was still doing freelance work even after I left ABC. I was still doing some stuff for PBS. The town was starting a television station, and one of the councilmen got a hold of a few of us that worked in television here in the town and asked us if we'd be part of putting the station on the air. And so we uh, basically did it. And, uh, matter of fact, they just converted the station over to HD, and as of this past April, we're in HD on Verizon system. But yeah, I still run that, and uh, I try to mix between local uh, programming and uh, other programming that I acquire. We belong to the Jersey Access Group, which in uh, in part uh, is affiliated with the Telview Corporation, which makes video servers for different stations. And they host a sharing server down in Princeton, New Jersey. And people from Massachusetts down to uh, Florida, and even out to the West Coast to a certain extent, share programming on it. So we can put programming on the shared server, and the members can take programming from the server to air on their local stations. And that's how I actually my broadcast day with a lot of stuff that i get from the telview server
0: nick um closing thoughts on your time on dark shadows and kind of re- reflecting on on the show um i mean i'm sure at the time even though it was really very popular at, at the time uh were you aware that it or have an, kind of an idea that it would last, uh, you know, all these decades later? And how do you feel about that?
1: Well, as I said before, for me in particular, it uh, has a many firsts since I got my first credits on it. It was the first show that of any notoriety that people really remember, which is great. Uh, I knew it was an out-of-the-ordinary show, even at the time, because there's no other soap opera that was ever like this or ever tried to be like it. Uh, I knew it was different. I enjoyed working on it. I enjoyed watching it. And uh, But when it got to the point where fans were really calling for it to be aired, uh, I knew at that point in time that it's going to be a star trek type event people Mm -hmm. will remember it and remember it and remember it Mm -hmm. and to a certain extent it was like a little family working there uh you know you work with these same people day after day you get to know them to a certain extent sometimes more than others Mm -hmm. and uh it's a good memory It's a good memory for all of us who have been associated with the show
0: Wonderful. I don't know if you've heard but they're they're trying to do a, a sort of a next generation sequel series to Dark Shadows now Mark B Perry is trying to get this off the ground. It was going to be on uh going to the CW but that that didn't work out. But I guess he's pitching this um idea of like a kind of a Star Trek the Next Generation but for Dark Shadows. Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: Uh yeah, it will be interesting. But You know, like anything else, when you do a sequel, it's not like the original. Mm -hmm. However, that's not to say it couldn't be as good as or better. Uh, I guess time will tell, and depending upon how they handle the show, Mm -hmm. whether it goes over with the public or not. Obviously, people will always have fond memories of the original, and there are many Facebook pages dedicated to the old 1966 to 72 uh, show that didn't stay on. Ironically, too, it was the first show in New York that went color. The other show that went color was uh, General Hospital, which, of course, is still on the air. They went on the air in color within a week of each other.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd heard that ABC that uh, Dark Shadows is the first ABC show to to be in in color. Uh, I th- I think they could have. I mean, they only say oh they ran out of ideas. Right? I've said this before in previous episodes of the podcast. Dark Shadows was known for lifting or incorporating classic horror tales into the the mythology of the show itself and doing sort of the dark shadows take on it and there are so many of those tales that were left untouched you know where i think they could have continued to pull from the the sort of the vast pantheon of of classic terror literature you know to continue perpetuating it um
1: yeah, I think some of the uh, old writers of the show may have been just getting tired, right? And didn't want to pursue it. Had they changed writers uh, that had a different take, yes, you're probably right. They could have expanded on what was there and have the show evolve. Sure. But uh, I think the pressure from ABC about costs mm-hmm. and you know being canceled uh, this week, being canceled next month was weighing on everyone.
0: Well, Nick, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you so much for, for meeting with me and for, for answering my questions. And I'm sure everyone will be delighted to hear from you. Uh, And hopefully there will be some gathering, like you said, Catherine Lee Scott is definitely, uh, you know, she's, she's been spearheading a lot of this sort of, you know, keeping this.
1: going. Oh yeah. One little item. Sure. Yeah. When she was, uh, writing my scrapbook memories of dark shadows she asked a number of us over the years that had any recollections and i sent a piece in and she actually included it in the book too
0: yes yeah oh wonderful i I, that book was so exciting for me to find in 1986 because at that time uh, Dark Shadows was in syndication, but there was very little in terms of media out there and sort of the pop culture section of the of the bookstore and stuff. And I remember being in Walden Books and seeing that on the shelf, and I mm. I can't believe it. And then it was written by Catherine Lee Scott. On top of that, so it was such a cool thing to to find, and I think that definitely helped to sort of uh, galvanize a lot of the. Fan sort of come, fan interest coming together for things like going to the conventions and, and things like that. So uh, hopefully things will continue in in that vein. I know there there are gatherings periodically. Obviously, you know we've been in a pandemic, so uh, now we're things are hopefully going to improve going forward uh, with vaccinations and all that. So hopefully we can get back together and and do
1: something something
0: fun so absolutely
1: when do you think you'll be putting this up uh posting it so that people can listen oh it will um
0: it usually takes me a couple of days to edit i'll I'll go back in and clean it Mm -hmm. up a little bit and then i i probably will get it up later this week um and i will definitely send you a link to it when it's up
1: oh great thank you wonderful
0: yeah absolutely nick thank you so much have a wonderful day you too Uh, Folks, remember to check us out uh, at terroratcollinwood.com. There's also all of your favorite podcast apps that you can check out out there. Apple Podcasts is uh, sort of the primary place where you can subscribe all of the podcast apps, Podbean, Amazon Prime, Audible. Lots of different uh, podcast streaming services. You just can download the app to your phone. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcast, I would appreciate it if you would leave us a review uh, and leave us a rating. It really helps to get the podcast seen by more fans uh, when they do Google searches for uh, Dark Shadows podcasts. We will come up more often. So definitely give us a review. And for as long as they lived, the Dark Shadows never truly dissipated. For there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.